I think the, the harder thing, and this is what I'm, I'm actually planning to do moving forward, is I'm, I'm not a big believer in kind of absolutism when it comes to diet or working out and all of those things. I think the more important thing is actually routine. How do you establish a routine for yourself? In the long run, just having an absolutism is, is first hard to do. And then if you run into the risk that if you break that, then are you just off back to bad habits? So I think for me, I, I think I'd like to continue to minimize my beef consumption. I don't want to swear it off completely, but I think just even having that recognition, I should really work to limit my beef content, make that a uh, eternal pledge here is, is what I've been thinking. My wife and I have talked about that as just something in general we need to do. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Welcome back for the second conversation with Michael Lennox. We start by talking about how his book is catching on. My favorite part of it is that it's about a systems approach. Now, I'm going to say as an aside that he puts more faith into disruptive innovation than I would. I consider it important, even essential, to keep developing technologies to make them more essential. But check my blog for posts on how I find that technological innovation has historically increased pollution, even when you make things more efficient in the short run. But I say that as an aside here, because my goal is to expose his views, not to debate him. The big thing is that business produces leaders. I want to bring leaders to environmental action, not just to highlight a few small achievements of a few people who did some small things, because in the opposite direction, we have Donald Trump, we have the Koch brothers leading tremendously effectively. I don't like what they're doing, but I recognize the scale on which they're working, and it's much bigger than a small recycling program or a bunch of people not getting straws. And I want to bring leadership on that scale to protect and conserve the environment. And of course, we also talk about Michael's taking action himself. So let's listen. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh Bodak. I'm here with Michael Lennox. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing well today. And since last we spoke, two big things have happened. One is that you've done the personal challenge, but I'm really more interested in starting by hearing about the book because you wrote the book not just for the usual audience for you, which was an academic audience, but for the general public. And now you've been out there talking about it and so forth. How are things going with the launch? Yeah, so I'm very excited. You know, the book launches on Tuesday, May 22nd here coming up. And I've been on the road talking about the book to various audiences. I was actually just in China last week, giving a couple of talks in Hong Kong and Shanghai. And as you, you, you mentioned there, you know, this is a, a new experience for me in that this book is really gauged, aimed at a general practitioner audience here, uh, not just an academic audience. And it's been really fun to kind of hear from others uh, in the community what resonates with them, what's novel to them. I think uh, this notion that the criticality of innovation for dealing with uh, climate change and other sustainability challenges has, uh, has resonated. Uh, and then for them to be able to relate some of the anecdotes and some of the stories that I'm telling with you know, their own experiences, their own expertise that they might have. Oh, now I'm curious to hear one or two of the stories, although I'm also, one of the big things you talked about was the systemic approach and seeing that it's not just one thing 
Is that something they're getting? Is that something that is making a difference? Yeah, I think it's resonating with people, that notion. Again, trying to understand the scale of the problem we face and that innovating new disruptive technologies is going to be a critical part of that. And that understanding how those technologies come about and how the broader system influences that. Um, I think people are getting that are getting that story. And it might change the perspective slightly from those who maybe thought of it purely from a kind of a simple corporate social responsibility angle. And, you know, how do we get large companies to reduce their emissions 5% or so to, again, what, what we're arguing for, which is that really what we need is, is real disruptive innovation across a wide number of sectors here. Now I want to check a story. Uh, can you share one of the stories that you share with them that they like or a story that they've shared back with you? Yeah, and some of these are taken directly from the book. So just, you know, tell the story of some companies that I think, you know, many people are familiar with, like Tesla and uh, Nest, uh, now owned by Google, but also tell stories about, for example, uh, Climate Corporation, which is developing information solutions for farmers to help increase their uh, efficiency and reduce their environmental impact of their of their efforts. At the end of the day, it's, it's a technology solution, but it's having a big impact on uh, the footprint of, of farming operations. Now, speaking of impacts that you're having on others, does reaching a new audience and talking to new media, is that leading to change in yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, this isn't the first time I obviously have been trying to reach out to external audiences for, for a while now with my work. It is always a reality check for you, right? It's always good to hear from those, first, those who might not be in this space at all, see again what they're thinking of and what resonates with them. And then, of course, you know, there are people I'm speaking to who might be really deep into the solar industry or really deep into the electric vehicle industry and to hear what they're dealing with and if what this kind of broader story I'm telling uh, resonates with them or not. I remember when I was about to might release my book, I was like, crazy, so much stuff going on. I presume this craziness, I mean, with all the international travel, is it also fun or are you also, is it educational? Is it it's a joy, right? To have the opportunity to share your ideas with others and, and hear from them. And, and in some ways I'm learning as well as I'm on the road here. No, it's, it's been a joy. I am a big believer that business and markets are one of the most powerful institutions kind of invented by humankind. It's not to say that, that business and markets can't be used for ill. And then we can all point to examples of CEOs or managers who've acted in ways that aren't, you know, in the public interest, in the, the best interest of society. I find that when I'm working with companies and CEOs, more often than not, they are citizens of the world and they, they do want to have a positive impact. The question becomes, how can they operate given the constraints they operate in as a business or even just any organization? And so that's why in the book, we really take the systems perspective that says we've got to understand that institutional context that business and markets operate in and how they might provide the conditions under which we can get more of these sustainable disruptive innovations that, that we're advocating for. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, how do I put that? You know, a lot of people, they come to me and they say, Josh, I've got this great person for your podcast. It's this person who's doing this recycling or this person who's doing this farming in some urban area or something like that. I'm like, that's great. I'm looking for leaders and leadership. And like business has one thing it does well is, well, let's see. Hmm. I mean, it certainly produces leaders that aren't so great, but it produces, it does work on producing leaders. And I think that not to include that as part of what we do in environmental work is going to miss some of the most valuable people to contribute. Like I had this panel a little while ago and it's leading to panels. Some people at UVA are talking to me about it and people at Duke and people maybe at Yale and it's in the business schools. 
And then also I'm getting interest from Coca-Cola and from Exxon. And when I, a long time ago, when I was in school, I'd be like, protest. We should protest these companies. Right. But the delta that's achievable by working with them is much greater. I mean, they're there. They exist. Coca-Cola, a lot of, I pick up a lot of garbage in the city because, you know, I have my daily habit of I pick up at least one piece of trash. Coca-Cola produces a lot of it. If I want to change that, working with them is going to be much more effective than working against them. You mentioned well, we make this point in the book that if you know if you look at the top you know fifty economies in the world, either measured by revenue in the case of companies or uh, GDP in the case of countries, you don't have to go very far down the list before you start running into companies. You know, a company like Exxon Mobil is like the tenth largest economy in the world. That might not be exactly the right number, but it's it's a high you know high level there. We just have to accept the fact that large organizations, large businesses are powerful institutions and can affect change, both positively and negatively. But again, the question is, how do you get the positive change you want? I'm going to use that to segue into talking about positive change, and I'm going to throw in personal change as well. Uh So since last we spoke, you, I believe, can I say someone who enjoys the taste of of beef? (laughs) Yes, yes. Have uh, over the past month, based on, correct me if I'm wrong, but based on, on values of yours said, I'm going to go for 30 days without. Yes. How did it go, if you don't mind sharing? So it was uh, successful, I have to say. I, I was able to stick to my, uh, my pledge. To be honest, you know, it's, it's not that huge of a sacrifice, right? I was thinking about, you know, there was only a couple instances where it was problematic at all. And, and they were basically instances where I wasn't controlling the, uh, the menu. So two come to mind. One, we went over some friends' houses, a house on Mother's Day to celebrate our wives and the mothers, and we had a cookout. And so hamburgers were the uh, the main course. And so that was fine. I just, you know, bypassed the hamburger and had some sides, and uh, it was it was all good. And then there was another instance where we, it's the time of year at the universities where we have lots of different uh, banquets and end-of-the-year celebrations. And so this one, the main course was, was beef. And again, I was just able to politely ask for an alternative, and they brought me something. So this isn't a great sacrifice. I was pleased to see that I was able to honor the pledge, but if I'm being honest, it wasn't like it was a huge sacrifice to do it. I was, I was actually expecting each of the times that you said that you were with the mother or at the school events, I thought you were going to say, and it wasn't a big deal, I just had it. And then, you know, I didn't count it as like a big defeat. But you didn't. You actually, you went further than a lot. I mean, I've had other people do this before and some people are just like, yeah, I just said no big deal. But yeah, I think the idea is if you're prepared, then it works out. And if you, if it doesn't go, I'm now kind of speaking, I'm speaking now a bit to the listeners is if, if it doesn't go well, you just think of, do you say that's the end of it? Or do you say, well, adjust on the fly? I think the, the harder thing, and this is what I'm, I'm actually planning to do kind of moving forward, is I'm, I'm not a big believer in kind of absolutism when it comes to diet or working out and all of those things. I think the more important thing is actually routine. You know, how do you establish a routine for yourself? I think you're right. In the long run, just having an absolutism is, is first hard to do. And then if you run into the risk that if you break that, then are you just off back to bad habits? So I think for me, I, I think I'd like to continue to kind of minimize my beef consumption. I don't want to swear it off completely, but I think just even having that recognition, like I should really work to limit my, my beef content, make that a uh, eternal pledge here is what I've been thinking. My wife and I have talked about that as just something in general we need, we need to do. Well, I'm curious, what led you to that change? I mean, I presume it was the experience, but it's not obvious what the connection is. Was it just because it was easier than you expected? Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's sometimes just a reminder, right? I mean, again, 
all, all of these kind of behavioral changes that we kind of all seek to improve ourselves. I think, again, it's, it's more about routine. I work out regularly and my son and daughter who are now 16 and 14 are beginning to work out more and they have sports and things that they do. And what I always tell them is, you know, the, the biggest thing is just showing up. Don't expect that like every day is going to be great and that some days you're going to miss. And like, like last week I was in China, like you're not going to be able to keep this up every day, but it is the mentality of like, I'm going to strive to do this every day and recognize it's not a complete failure if I don't achieve that, but keep at it, go back again. And I, I think that I find is a more um, realistic maybe way of, of keeping things. That's the same with diet. I tell myself always like, I got to cut back on the ice cream, but I'm not going to give it up completely right? Every once in a while, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to have that ice cream and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. But yeah, I got to cut it back. It shouldn't be a daily thing, obviously. So you're talking a lot about the behaviors that are, that are coming up. And I'm hearing joy, happiness. What was the emotional experience of this challenge and looking forward as well? Well, like I said, I think the main thing it did to me was just remind me. I think if I was in, for example, that banquet uh, situation I mentioned, I wouldn't have thought about it before, right? It wasn't something that was, you know, would be top of mind. And, and because I had made the pledge and I wanted to honor that, you know, yeah, it's something I thought about. And, um, and again, I think moving forward, what I'd like to do is try to keep that, that reminder in my mind that if I'm going to get, you know, a steak or hamburger, like it's going to be like, oh, this is something I can only do like, you know, once every couple months, right? That this isn't a regular occurrence for me. And again, I think that ends up, at least for me, being more realistic. I'm trying to produce, you know, approach something than trying to take the absolutism, like, I will never do this again. I've seen so many people who've like, you know, were vegetarians for a while, and then they backed off, and then they go again. And I don't know, I think uh, restraint may be better than absolutism, at least for me. And maybe it's more personal for me that that seems to work better. So it sounds like you really enjoy this. It sounds like this, what you're doing, and also the, the change itself. Did this experience lead you to reflect on anything that you wrote about in the book? Well, I think, you know, I, I always struggle with the, I think what a lot of us do, which is knowing the scope of the problem we face. There's, there's a little bit of defeatism in the individual level. Knowing like, boy, I am, I am just a speck that is making, I can only move the needle a little bit with my own behavior. And as we all know, the key is that collectively we begin to do that. At the same time, it doesn't absolve you from, from making the effort. We actually have a, a sustainability initiative here at Darden. And we talk about how we live and how we learn. And, and I really like that. I didn't coin that phrase, but it speaks to that we're at one level doing, you know, a number of different efforts to increase our educational efforts around sustainability in the curriculum. But if we're going to do that, we also need to live that as well. And so we need to make changes to our operations and how we, as we go as an enterprise to be consistent in what we're doing. And then I kind of like that too, from an individual level, right? So, you know, I'm writing about sustainability issues. I believe deeply in the need to make changes in action. And if I do that, then I, you know, I should be living some of those values myself. So did this augment that experience for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of leading the, I asked a very leading question there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about values before. I mean, I, I remember you talking a lot about water in your youth and, and, and like that was your, one of your associations with, with the environment. What values did this connect with? You said you were honoring a pledge. So it sounds like honoring something that you said. But I feel like it came from something prior. Even before you pledged it, there was something that it connected with. Were you thinking about your values while you were doing it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, I mean, it's um, we aspire to our better angels every day and we struggle with those. And, uh, and I think a good reminder every once in a while, a pledge is, is helpful to, uh, to return you to those. It goes from everything from making sure we're recycling to uh, 
thinking about our carbon footprint when we buy cars and you know have houses and things like that. I am by no means um, a leader in that, but I, I strive to do better every day. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Well, I want to wrap up with uh, a couple questions. One is if there's anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up that you'd like to bring out. And certainly, are there other events coming up with the book? And then also, well, let me start with that one. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on the road a little bit more. We're doing some alumni events for, for UVA alums that I'll be talking with. Uh, I'll be out uh, up in Boston. I'll be uh, down in Philadelphia. I'll be out in California. So more to come on that and doing quite a bit of uh, writing and reports in addition to the book that we're kind of releasing soon through the Band Institute that I'm affiliated with. We just had a new report out on potential for decarbonizing the electric utility sector. And then we also have a a policy playbook coming out that speaks to how do we increase the innovation coming out around clean technology. That that actually grew out of an event we did back in February in D.C. called a Jefferson Innovation Summit, where we got 50 delegates together from all walks of life, business, policy, government officials, uh, NGOs, uh, academics, to, to discuss that and, in essence, ideate. Uh, ways to do that. So there, there's a lot more coming out. Uh, just you know, be on the lookout, please. All right. And so for listeners, but begin, listeners can begin with Can Business Save the Earth by Michael Lennox and Aaron Chatterjee. The last question I'd like to end with is, do you have any personal message to say direct to the listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it can be daunting, right? And we lay out in the book some of the, uh, you know, the scale of the challenges we're facing, and it can be easy to be defeatist about that. But I choose optimism. And I do think when we think about the economic and you see the broader social, political economics uh, as a system, you have to recognize that we all play a role and, and that it's hard for any one of us to like direct the system, but we all influence the system. It, and it's all those acts of individual stakeholders and actors influencing the system that actually is what moves it forward. So it's easy to get daunted and, and be pessimistic, but uh, you know, I, I ask more people, you know, choose optimism, don't give up and, and, and you know, continue to have influence as you can, how that system evolves. I can't help but add to that because it felt, I feel like that message got me to do this podcast. It got me to do things like this. After you do it, it becomes really, you enjoy it. There's definitely a lot of times that I want to give up and I still, sometimes I get frustrated. Uh, a lot of times I get frustrated, Yeah, but it's worth it. If it, I mean, on the other side of it is living by your values is it's, yeah. It's, Absolutely. And the people you interact with, the things you get to do. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. If you ask me, Michael sounded as if he was smiling, especially when he started talking about the personal challenge. Not so hard, kind of fun. He wants to keep going. I wasn't sure before inviting him if an academic would act. But Michael didn't flinch. In fact, he jumped into it. So I ask you, if you aren't doing anything, what are you going to do? And if you know what you want to do, what are you waiting for? And if you are doing something, I recommend clicking on Commit to a Personal Challenge on the podcast page, joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. Share what you're doing and be a leader among leaders.
you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.